Then he said something that I'll never forget in my life. And he said, you know, for a long time, I didn't think I was ambitious until I realized that my ambition is to have a good life. And in that moment, it just clicked. Hey, friend, it's David Nabinsky here in Brooklyn. Here at the Portfolio Career Podcast, we help you take ownership of your portfolio career and design the life that you want to live. Today's conversation is with Steve Schlafman. You may remember Steve from an episode that we did in the fall of 2018, episode 22. Wow. Uh, Steve is a legend in the New York tech ecosystem and is someone I look up to immensely. This was a really special episode for me, and I hope you really enjoy it as well. This episode happened in front of a live audience in an apartment in Brooklyn with about 20 people there total. You'll hear people asking questions during the episode when I will hand them the mic and they will ask a question. Steve is a writer, podcaster, a coach, a dad, and he used to be an investor. Uh, In this episode, you'll learn about Steve leaving a 10 plus year career as an investor to go full-time coaching in addition to writing and being a dad. His specific recent transitions and how you might want to think about transitions, holistic ambition, and tips for growing a coaching business. So if you're in, if you're going through a transition, you're interested in coaching and starting a coaching business, this episode is definitely for you. As always, this episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my new newsletter on Substack called Portfolio Career. And you can also take my free podcasting course. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go, Steve. So, um, fall 2021, Madison Square Park. Mm. Conversation, Jonathan Basker. Tell us about that. Tell us about that conversation. Yeah. Um, Just for a little bit of context. I had spent the previous almost two years really living a dual existence. I spent uh, about three quarters of my time coaching and growing and building my practice. And I spent 25% of my time investing as an angel investor. As I When I left venture investing, I raised a small fund from family and friends. It was kind of a side hustle. A lot of people were doing it at the time. And um, I had basically north of $7.5 million in commitments for a new fund. And I was actually going to merge coaching and investing together. And I was talking with Basker, and he said, you know, he goes, I don't know if this is the right – and I, I was, like, torn. I'm like, am I an investor? Am I a coach? Like, I've definitely leaned into the coaching thing, but this investor part of me, this identity doesn't want to, like, like, like doesn't want to die. And uh, I'm like, he's like, every time I talk to you, you don't sound like you want to be an investor. Mm. It's like he, it's like you're you're the girlfriend in a bad relationship and you keep on going back to investing. <laughs> and then he said something that I'll never forget in my life. And he said, you know, for a long time I didn't think I was ambitious until I realized that my ambition is to have a good life. And in that moment it just clicked. And that was like, oh, I get it. And that in some ways was like the permission for that investor part to finally just melt away 
because I was like, yeah, my ambition isn't to be the world's best venture capitalist. It's like for that, that's like so foreign. And so basically a few days later, I sent an email to my investors and said, rather than asking them for money for the first capital call, I said, I'm not going to move forward with the fund. And, um, that was, I mean, almost a year and a half ago. And I feel like I'm now coming kind of on the, I'm sort of on the other end of this long transition that really has been like six or seven years in the making, which is crazy to think. Mm. So when you think about that six or seven years, are you, are you suggesting there that transitions take time or do you think that's more related to your own journey? I think it, it, I think both, um, I think transitions when I hate using this word done properly, but when transitions are going to take the amount of time that they take Mm -hmm. and especially if we don't try to rush them. And for me, it was, it, it, in a lot of ways with the benefit of hindsight, it was a, a, a large transition, but a series of kind of small transitions interspersed. Yeah. So the large transition was leaving investing to then go into full-time coaching now. Yeah. And, and I think there was, you know, it all started when I'm like, yeah, I don't, every firm investing firm I ever have been in, like, I feel like a fish out of water. I'm not myself. I feel like I can't be myself. And despite that, you know, being successful, however you want to define that. And finally I was like, okay, well maybe there's something else. And I got really attracted to coaching and then I started exploring that. And it it, it was like this, almost this like five year period before I could actually like fully step away and embrace it. And what's interesting is now I'm on the other side of it where, uh, I'm, I'm realizing that coaching executives and leaders, which is what I've been doing. I run a fairly successful practice, um, working with some amazing clients where I'm like, this is still kind of a relic of the, the life that I had been living as an investor. And so that's been a nice process and reevaluation of like, okay, well, if I get a start fresh, who is it that I want to serve and support and how do I want to go and do that? Okay. Um, and so that quote by Basker about um, having an ambitious life. Yes. I think as he said, for a long time I thought I wasn't ambitious with, until I realized my ambition is to have, live a good life. Yes. Um, you've written about ambition in a way of holistic ambition. Yeah. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, well, I think it, it started, you know, I started chewing on this idea where, after I decided to walk away from the, the fund and step full into coaching, like this is who I am. I'm fully embracing this new identity, this new life. I mean, literally every aspect of my being was different to like how my days were structured, what I spent my time doing, how I moved through the world, how I experienced things. And it was probably... I don't know, March of last year, almost a year ago where I was on Twitter. Well, I would be on Twitter and I'd be really like triggered by all the thread boys and like, (laughs) just like grandstanding. And I was like, 
I, it just like, I had this like bad taste in my mouth and looking at, and, and I also felt like I had lost my ambition as I like moved into this new career and like really moved into it. And I was like, and then, you know, with there's like articles in the times about like ambition being bad. And I was just like, okay, one end is like ambition is, um, is bad. And on the, and, and the thread boys and toxic ambition and all this stuff. And then on the other end, I'm like, I don't have any ambition. It's like, you know, after having lots of it for almost two decades. And what I noticed was that this pendulum for me, had kind of swung in both directions. And I was on the sort of a, of the mindset or on the side of the, the pendulum that was like, yeah, ambition's bad. It's toxic. And I started to ask myself, well, what would a new relationship with ambition actually look like now that I'm a father, uh, now that I want to, there, there's other parts of me that really want to come online, but I don't want to give up my ambition. And so what I started to think of is this idea of holistic ambition, where it's not just about success for the sake of success and growth at all costs, but it's just, you know, what is it that I want to contribute to the world? How do I want to move through the world and be? And we get to decide whatever that is. And if that's, I want to care for my, my sick father with dementia, that can be an ambition. If it's, I want to, you know, work on climate and do it in a specific way, that's great, right? If it's, I want to run out, be an ultra marathoner and that's my, great. And so to me, I think rather than letting kind of our capitalist society, which by the way, I'm a, a participant and a beneficiary <laughs> of, um, but rather than, you know, kind of going with this old definition, like how can we, cause I actually think ambition is a good thing, right? It, it makes life worth living. It creates fulfillment goal. Like there's a lot of benefits of it, but I think we have to move beyond it okay. of the way we've, we've defined it. Okay. And so then you stop this, um, um, you stopped the fund, you told the investors, you sent that email and then 2022 was a, like a no decision kind of year. No decisions, <laughs> which is very hard for me because I, I, I get excited easily. <laughs> Say more about that. About getting no, excited. No decisions. Oh, or no, how you no, said, no decisions. After you said <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I had spent a lot of time moving quickly from one thing to the next. So like when I decided to leave RRE Ventures where I was a partner, it wasn't like, hey, let's take stock and see what the options are and, you know, listen to yourself. And it was, oh, I'm just going to move into the next thing. Of course, I'm going to be an investor. Like I didn't even think that there was another possibility. Just like when I left primary, two and a half years later, it was like, Oh, I'm going to go raise an angel fund and I'm also going to coach. And, and what I know, what, what I ultimately noticed was that I, and I, I work with a, 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 what I call a recovering clinical psychologist who's now a coach, Dr. Josh. And he, and I affectionately called it as this tendency to blow and go where I would just like make these quick decisions and then not have to think about the consequences, but live with them down the road. And I was like, I recognize this pattern. I can see how it's actually been really beneficial in my entire career. And I can also see how it's been limiting. And so instinctively I was like, okay, like 
I'm still in this transition. I'm just going to like no decisions. I got an office. Um, I want to do one of these now. You've inspired me. <laughs> um, but I got an office that I affectionately called the cocoon. And literally my days were going to the office at 830 in the morning, writing, learning, reading, like no no real like networking and meetings. And then I would do client sessions in the afternoon. I'd be home at six o'clock, put my girls down or my daughter at the time down to bed, hang out with my wife, maybe read and go. To, and it, that was like such a different existence from my days as an investor, which was like literally like second I'm up in the morning to the time I go to bed, like back to back to back meetings all day. And it was just this like breath of fresh air. And what I realized is by slowing down and making no decisions, I could actually be with my experience and really start to listen to like what it is that wants to come through me and what it is that I want to express with the understanding that this isn't going to be a blow and go situation, that this is going to be a dedication of the next phase of my life to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I don't want to rush that. So, so for me, the no decisions was, I mean, so therapeutic and wonderful. And, and I was fortunate where, you know, I, I, built a practice and, uh, and I designed a life that afforded me the ability to not have to, you know, work around the clock. And I had the opportunity to just breathe. Yeah. Love that. Um, and in 2023, you've been, you made one decision to start a podcast. Um, (laughs) that was, that was really a 2022 decision, but I knew that it wasn't going to get executed until this year. Okay. Um, so if we walk it back to pre park moment, um, and also just thinking about some of my own transitions, there's waddling in the park and having the thought, um, in the privacy and safety of my own and and terror sometimes of my own two ears and then there's talking about it with the safety of family or friends or with a therapist or a coach and then there's actually taking action to start to turn what is an idea into a reality so can you unpack beyond the park moment which sounds like it was significant for you what that journey from idea or something in your heart or something in your brain to actually starting to take action on it look like on on the walking away from the investing or stepping fully into coaching I would say I mean both whatever resonates but but I'm I'm very interested particularly in you starting to listen to the signal around wanting to really lean into the coaching piece yeah well thank you thank you um so it's something I've been playing with. I, I I actually wrote this down the other day that I think it will be a future I don't know, newsletter issue or an essay that this this idea of like a, a tug of war, um, and that I'm I'm a huge fan of parts work, internal family systems. I'm learning a system, a coaching methodology called Alethea, where parts is a really important part of that. And, you know, it it will be a big part of my work. It is a big part of my work and will continue to be going forward. The reason why I bring up the tug of war is because I had a, I had a series of parts of me that really wanted to be an investor. And I also had 
a number of parts that really wanted to like lean into coaching and was like really torn on it. And what I ultimately had to reconcile was that both of those sides of the rope wanted the best for me, right? They had my best intentions at heart. They just, you know, they, they weren't working together. And what I ultimately first clued into, if I'm being honest, a lot of the time, like if you, if, if you sat on, in coaching sessions with me, like not as a client, I was always moving away. I was never moving toward, like I was always moving away from investing. I was never like moving towards coaching, which is specific. And what I realized, I just honed in on like, I would be in pitch meetings, which is a pretty significant um, part of the job. And I'd be like, I don't want to be here. Like I, mm. like, I've sat in thousands of pitch meetings and I just stopped caring. Like I'm like, I don't, all due respect to the entrepreneurs, like I don't care about their business. Like I want to express myself. It was more of like, I have something inside of me to create and express. And I know if I don't listen to that part of me, whatever it wants to say, I have no clue. Like I'm going to be disappointed. And I just started to like tune in, like what is it that I like about investing? And then it was like, Oh, power, money, status, like all these things. And I just knew like, yeah, this isn't lighting me up. And what was the thing that I love most about coaching was the flexibility, the impact, the working with clients, seeing them grow. So it was like kind of understanding both sides of that tug of war. Cool. Uh, I think Sonia. Yeah. Hi. I have a quick question for you. So hypothetically, you said, not to say that your fund wasn't successful. Had it been 100 times more successful within a span of a year, do you think your decision would have been any different? I don't think so. Um, no, I, I just, I, I lost my love for it. Like there was a period earlier in my life where I, I loved it and I had so much energy. I had a big realization that, and listen, like there's one, there's one certainty about the way that the world works is that impermanence is embedded in it, right? Like everything will, you know, everything arises and everything passes, right? We, we all can agree on that. And what I started to grapple with as an investor was that the world, it was always like everything under my feet was always shifting, right? You were, you would be like social, mobile, um, on demand, crypto. Now it's AI <laughs> and you would always have to keep up. Like the world was always shifting and what I started to tune into was like, yes, like investing is a skill and there's a lot of, you know, other skills and competencies that you have to have to be a good investor. But I was like, I don't feel like I'm learning a skill that's like going to be highly transferable. If venture capital went away, like I'm kind of just like on my ass and I started to like, but what's something that I could pour myself into that I would love? And the thing, part of the job that I really enjoyed was like meeting an entrepreneur, believing in them, like supporting them throughout the journey. And so I, at a certain point in time, I was like, well, why don't I just remove the part of the job that stresses the fuck out of me that I don't really enjoy and just focus on the part that fills me up? And that's, you know, it, 
it was a process to get there, but that is ultimately. And so I don't think there was any amount of money that, um, that would have got me to stay in investing. Like my life's, a, I mean, a hundred times better now, a hundred times better. Like I don't really miss it all that much. Hundred X return. Um, Sam. Hey, <clears throat> hey, you talked, uh, you touched on this earlier. You were talking about toxic ambition and I know you coach a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, I definitely missed that whole wave, but I'm curious about your struggle with toxic ambition and how it equates to your coaching career and your investor career and where you see it going now with your coaching career. Yeah. Um, I've done a lot of work around that. I'm sure there's going to be a lot more work that I have to do. Um, what I've come to appreciate is when, and it's something I practice is when I see something externally that I, um, and I feel a constriction in my body or I resist, um, that is usually a clue into work that I need to do on myself. And I think, not I think, there were, I mean, almost two decades of my life. I'm dating myself now. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm older than I look. Um, where I was extremely ambitious. And at a certain point, especially after I made this transition, I disowned that part of me. And so it required a whole bunch of work, parts work, and like understanding what it is about like ambition that I was like, I would be in coaching sessions with founders, like clients, and I'm, I'm open to this with them where I would get triggered where they're like, oh yeah, I'm working around the clock, like literally around the clock, like not sleeping at all and like workaholic tendencies. And I would just cringe inside and I was like, oh, that's because I haven't accepted the workaholic in me. Mm. And so th coming back to the, the whole toxic ambition thing is I think like, again, ambition is good. I think when ambition is in pursuit of soul like only the ego i think that's where it can be very dangerous and bad cool and self-serving uh, rachel when i think about transitions a big thing i think about is the discomfort that comes with it i feel like that's often not talked about and i'm sure you you made the tr transition full-time to the coaching career it's amazing it's awesome you're excited but then I'm curious if you felt discomfort in the time when you went full time and how you got through and maybe even leaned into the discomfort to come out on the other end. It's a great question, Rachel. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think when we, and I use we as like the proverb, when we go through transitions, I can only speak about my own experience but it, it is a very disorient, disorienting time because um, we're basically moving between the world that we knew and the identity that we had, especially if it's like a full transformation, right? Like, you know, it's, if it's like a mini transition, um, it, it, it might not be as, as significant. But when we're in this in-between, this liminal space, we don't, we don't, we, we, we want to, we want to quickly move away from it because it's uncertain. And I don't believe most humans like 
uncertainty. And I also believe most humans aren't willing to like sit in that uncertainty in their full experience of fear and not knowing and sadness or grieving that a previous life is no longer here or going to come to fruition. And so um, there's a range of emotions. And I, you know, I, I believe that we you know, we need to get trained in like how to move through these. I think if anything, there's going to be more of these transitions in the future. And for me, it was disorienting, especially I would say like the darkest time for me was like, I'd say January of 2022 to really like April or May where I had like low grade depression. And I think it was because I wasn't really sure who I was going to be like, yes, I was a coach. Yes. I was running a successful practice, but I was also like, doesn't like, this isn't the full expression of, of, of what it like, what it's going to be. And like, I know it's kind of like this, but it's not it. And there was question in it where my ambition dried up where I was like, I don't really feel that ambitious, even though I was writing and, and, and coaching. And at a certain point I'm like, yeah, it it's, I felt insignificant. I'm like, am I like, am I going to just like fade away? Like, are people going to forget about me? Like, what is this all amounting to? And, I'm glad I actually just leaned into it and just was able to stare into the abyss because I was able to do that. And it, where I am right now is like exactly where I need to be, but it w- I wouldn't be here if I tried to like, you know, I actually said this in my, my interview with Jerry where, you know, we have a tendency to either rewind transitions and go back to the way things were because they're safe and easy or we fast forward and we just jump into the next thing as quickly as we possibly can and so you know being able to sit in the middle of this disorientation trying to create stability and structure like something we can actually like grab onto is a very comforting so anyhow i'll i'll stop but um there's a lot to be said yeah and and jerry's jerry colonna and that was on your podcast that you just launched uh, where the road begins, where the road bends, where the road bends. Um, Devin. Uh, I love that you mentioned parts work. I'm a huge fan. I'm actually currently being trained in internal family systems level one. I won the lottery. So <laughs> I still have not won the lottery. <laughs> I t- it took me two years, but I will not let so. it. I will not let it slow <laughs> me down. Um, I was just curious if you have any great stories about um, parts work and how it facilitated breakthroughs with your clients, like that tool in particular, how it opened up something for them. So the one that immediately comes to mind is because, you know, recency bias and all is uh, last week I am working with a very talented executive Uh, She sold her company not too long ago and is working with me to help her kind of into this transition of being a startup founder into a big company executive. And, you know, she came to me and said, you know, I'm, I'm just procrastinating. Like I'm, I'm like this like master procrastinator and like, I want you to give me some systems and, you know, and unpack, like, what, like, what do you do? To, 
and and I and by the way, I've I've worked with certain coaches that are like productivity gurus that will give you a system. But at the end of the day, like I'm a huge fan of like James Clear, but at the same time, I think it ignores a lot of human behavior. And what I said to her was, well, can we get to know that procrastinator? And she said, okay. So, um, you know, through Aletheia, I've trained. It's a very, it's a different approach than IFS, though there's a lot of similarities where I basically asked her to slow down. We get in almost like a meditative state and, uh, I basically asked her to make contact with the procrastinator and we got to know it and we got to know, you know, what its role is and, um, and, and what it's afraid of. And we got to know what are the strategies it uses to not have to feel those feelings. And then at the end of it, I said, okay, well, can you teach me a, like, this is from conscious leadership group, but it's like, can you teach me exactly how you keep this going and how the, like all the strategies, the, the, the procrastinator uses And at the end of it, she's like, holy shit. Like I see the racket that I'm running. And I said, you know what? It's not a racket, right? Can you see how this part is really trying to help you and what she discovered through our exploration is that this part has been active for her entire life and from a young age where she ultimately um she ultimately does not do well with unstructured ambiguous tasks and that makes her very uncomfortable and so it's a long way of saying i could have given her a system but that wouldn't have served her development as a human being. And now she can now see like when she's now working and procrastinating, she's like, oh, there it is again. And rather than like, this is what I say is like, how can you appreciate and love that one that doesn't want to feel the fear of not knowing what to do? And it's just trying to protect you. It's just a proactive protector, manager, whatever you want to call it. So that's that's one example. I probably gave you too much detail, but <laughs> um, maybe got time for one more question. But before uh, Carlene's question, um, I did want to touch upon it. So if someone is trying to build a coaching business, um, what would you say to them? And, um, you know, you t- earlier talked about skill, like I wasn't sure about the skill of VC, but it seems like the skill of coaching is one that you've really like, um, like believe in, so to speak. Uh, that it's like a foundational skill. Um, and if it's true, uh, this is way too many parts question, but um, yeah, I'll just stop there. How, how, how to start a coaching business? Well, um, I'm, I'm going to start. I'm not going to answer your question directly. Okay. Uh, I'm going to riff a little bit, but I will answer it. Cool. I promise I'll come Even back to it. Even better riff. Yeah. Um, so six years ago, I was about to start my coaching training. And... I had been coach curious for almost three years where I would like reach out to people I knew that had become coaches. Like this wasn't like stopping on a dime and being like, I want to be a coach. It was like, no, like many years of just this inner voice of like being like coaching's interesting. Coaching's interesting. Oh, this is a thing like, Oh, founders. I see so many founders could benefit from it. I also happen to be married to the founder and CEO of a company called the sill. So I saw the benefit. So anyhow, so it's literally I'm about to start my coaching training 
and I happened to be in Boston. I reached out to one of these older, like, you know, man in his mid sixties who had been coaching for over a decade. And I was like, I want to get together. And I sat down with him at a Starbucks in Newton Center. I'll never forget it. And I said to him, when I become a coach, and he looks at me and he says, you are a coach. And in that moment, like it, like it almost like a switch went off where I was like, oh, I totally am a coach. And then I walked into my coach training and by, by no means, I still think I'm a beginner. Like that's, you know, I have a part that's like, oh, you know, nothing. Right. But that gave me permission to show up believing I was already a coach. And so I think like what I would say to anyone is I believe that coaching is just in the very early stages and whether you want to call it coaching or consulting, advising, I think there's a real important distinction. Um, but I think we're on the very early stages of this for a whole bunch of reasons. And if you want to coach, you can coach. I think the question that I would pose is, and I don't think it's actually, I don't, I don't think it's easy to answer because you have to run experiments, which is who do you want to serve? What, what lights you up? What kind of coaching do you want to do? Um, and it's okay not to know, but you just got started. And that's what I did. Like, you know, when I started my practice and I give this advice to everybody that comes to me is, is this, is just start coaching your friends and charge them. But there's a catch. You have to say, I'm charging you. So you have skin in the game and you value the time, but not so much that you're going to resent me. And that's what I did. And I posted, I think, on Twitter, like, hey, I'm doing this coaching training. I'm going to coach. And people just started reaching out. I'm like, okay. And I worked maybe a handful, four or five people for almost like two years just running experiments. Who do I like to work with? Who do I like to work with? And then after a while, it was like, okay, sort of three personas. Founder CEOs of companies less than, call it, 150 employees, 50 to 100 employees, venture capitalists and leaders in transition. And it's been five years of that really like listening to, Oh, okay. Like who do I love to serve? And, and it just has taken on its own a life of its own. Um, you touched on this a little bit, but obviously so much of early stage investing and coaching has to do with the founders and the executives that you're working with. So I'm curious, obviously like you were an investor for like a decade or two decades before you started this. So I'm curious before you started too long when you were about, when you started coaching, I'm sure you had like some hypothesis or some criteria you're thinking like here, here's the type of person I'd like to work with. And I'm curious to hear what your journey was when you first started thinking about the types of people you'd want to work with, just having have met so many founders so in your career and how that hypothesis and criteria has kind of changed. Um, and then the second part is I'm curious what your boundaries are or the types of clients. Um, you're just like, Hey, this, you're not a fit. And I'm kind of curious, like how you figured what that was. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll touch on the first question and then dive into the second piece of it. Um, I think early on it was I'll coach whoever wants to be coached. I was I was just like, I want an experience. I want as many, you know, Dave's 200 podcasts. I'm like, I want to get, I want to get uh, as many coaching <laughs> sessions as I can possibly stomach. Um, while also have keeping my job as an investor. 
And so it was just like, yeah, I'm, I want to get reps. And like, generally speaking, founders, right? That's who I thought. At first, I turned away investors that were reaching out. Um, and then over time, like I had a, an acquaintance of mine, I call him a friend, really, um, GP at a really, like a really great fund in Silicon Valley. And he was like, Hey dude, like, I know you're doing the coaching thing. Like, could we explore it? Like, would you be willing to? And I was like, okay, I like it. Like, I, I love this guy. And I was like, sure. You know, we've been working together over almost two and a half years now. Um, and investors are a pretty significant part of my practice. But what I would say is that there, there's a thread that, that kind of unites people, which is just the willingness to commit to a process and not necessarily know where it's going to go, but show up and do the work. Um, and so I think that's a big part of it. Ability to like look in the mirror and be introspective. I think over time this is going to really evolve for me as I'm like now, you know, I'm sort of like moving into a new part of my practice that I think will will change pretty dramatically. Um, but I think generally speaking, it's commitment, it's a willingness to do the inner work and um, and look in the mirror. Is is I think and like there's there needs to be like a level of like, you know a history of high performance and, you know, wanting to have some sort of impact. Cool. Um, let's give it up for Steve. And where can uh, people learn more, stay in touch? Uh, you can find me, well, multiple places. I'm trying <laughs> to clean it up. Uh, I'm part of a uh, solopreneur creator mastermind now. And one of the guys, Jay Klaus, who's in the group, yeah, uh, who I love, uh, basically tore apart all of my online uh, presence. And so uh, lovingly, I, I mean, one of the most useful teardowns I've ever, I've ever experienced. Um, you can find me now at I, I do all my writing at schlaff.co. Um, I have a podcast and a biweekly newsletter under the name Where the Road Bends. If you want to check out the pod, wherethroadbends.fm. Um, it's on all the major podcast apps, uh, Spotify, um, <laughs> iTunes, whatnot. And, um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Schlaff and uh, reach out. I'm easy to get a hold of. Sounds good. Thanks again. Thank you. Hey friend, thank you for tuning in to this special episode of Portfolio Career Podcast. Would love to hear what you learned and what you enjoyed. Um, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever is best for you. And as a reminder, I'm just one email away as well. This episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away which includes the best insights from the podcast and friend-sourced opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Thank you so much. 